You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series and syndicating for the A-List online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith. What follows is a conversation between myself and Jordan Rudess. He's the keyboard player in Dream Theatre, but he's much more than that. He's an excellent solo artist and he's on tour in Australia soon. I'll read out some dates. The first show is on the 21st of November in Brisbane. The next one's in Adelaide on the 22nd. Then it's Melbourne on the 23rd, Sydney on the 27th, and finally Canberra, you get a show Wednesday the 28th. So let's have a listen to what Jordan has to say. Here we go. Everything is pretty good. Yeah. Can't complain. Yeah, it's a bit like that, isn't it? It's Friday over here now, so I assume it's Thursday evening where you are, mate, but the sky is blue. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a nice day ahead, and uh, I've got a busy day, mate, but I actually don't have much much doing on the weekend outside of looking after the kids, so I can't complain too much about what the next couple of days look like. Oh, there you go. That sounds mellow. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a musician as well, actually, and this is one of the few weekends where I don't actually have a gig, so I'll take that, actually, because um, as you well know, I'm a, I'm a working musician, uh, which means that I play in covers bands here and... Uh, what I mean by, as you well know, that usually means we've got to lug our own gear. So I call it this right. the 3 a.m. wait-through routine. So, <laughs> so a little break from all, all that could be good one weekend. I hear you. Yeah, definitely, mate. Yeah, definitely. Totally. Yeah, man. So, so these shows that you're bringing down here, you're obviously aware that you've got quite a, a fan base down here. Tell me about the, uh, the type of show you're going to be bringing down this time around, though. Sure. So um, it's called From Bach to Rock, which is the show I'm bringing. And it's a um, it's focused on uh, solo piano. Um, and what it is, it's a it's a journey. It's kind of like a Jordan Rudis journey through my musical life, which started, of course, when I was a young person studying at the Juilliard School of Music in New York City. And uh, as most people know, is is more recently has been filled with, uh, you know, dream theater and a lot of other solo solo stuff. Um, so that kind of pathway from this classical music to the progressive metal and everything in between mm. um, is what I'm going to take people through. And the fun part of the the uh, evening is that it's not only a musical evening; it's also some storytelling. So I get to kind of use the piano and all the different styles that I'll play as a vehicle to, to share this story uh, with everybody of how it kind of all like, uh, you know, came together. Um, and it's a chance for me to really engage with it, with the audience in a way that I, you know, I don't really get to do in any other, uh, any other format. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm bringing. Yeah. So is, is there an opportunity there for, for fans to ask you questions? Uh, well, there is, um, not during the concert itself, but there is, um, most of these shows, you know, have a meet and greet and the meet and greet is a very different kind of thing than like, for instance, like a dream theater meet and greet. It's a mm -hmm. little bit, I have more of a chance to kind of interact. I'm going to, what I plan to do in the meet and greets is I'm going to do it partly at the, at the instrument and I'll, you know, talk a little, I'll play a little bit, talk about my you know, my improvisation, my technique, and then I will take some questions uh, from the audience. 
um, as well. And, you know, and then do the more standard kind of, you know, take a photo with everybody and get, they'll get something signed. Mm, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's one of the things I'm really excited about is cause it's kind of a more intimate type of a show experience, but it's also, you know, because I can do my own style meet and greet, it's kind of a chance for me to, you know, to say hello to people in a way that I don't usually get to interact. So, mm-hmm. uh, should be really nice. Yeah, sweet. Yeah. Question I've actually always wanted to ask you. Since mm. I'm, I'm a Dream Theater fan, obviously, and uh, cool. you you strike me as uh, a very, very intelligent fellow. So what drew you to metal? And I'm not inferring at all that metal isn't an, an intelligent genre by any means, but I guess what I am saying is that you're the type of bloke that probably could have played any genre of music you chose. But one of the genres of music that you focused on is heavy metal. So what's drawn you toward heavy metal? Well, you know, I was never a huge metal fan. I still am not necessarily, although I do, you know, I do like, you know, certain metal. I'll turn on like Metallica and enjoy it or whatever. You know, there's a a time and place for all, for me, musically, for all that stuff. Um, But what attracted me to it, well, I mean, with Dream Theater, what got me into Dream Theater was when I first heard Dream Theater, I was interested in that all of a sudden there was this band I was listening to that could play like the progressive rock stuff, but they mixed it with metal. And not only did they have this mixture, but they also had amazing chops. They could play like, you know, kind of like like a classical, like a well-trained classical virtuoso. Mm. And so that caught my ear. I was like, wow, they're like heavy, but they're prog and they play like really their instruments so well. So, it, you know, that that was a combination that really got me. Like, you know, I was never like when I was growing up, I was never into like Metallica or Iron Maiden or anything like that. I kind of was in mm-hmm. I, I played a little guitar and I, I liked, you know, ACDC and some Judas Priest and some things like that and some Black Sabbath. Um, although that wasn't my, you know, if somebody asked me, what's your favorite kind of music? I wouldn't say that. Yeah. I'd more say like, you know, progressive rock, you know, was probably the. Kind of like most, um, but there, you know, the, the the enjoyment of the style and also the the way that Dream Theater was kind of like putting it together that really interested me. So, um, in, in that sense, I'm able to, you know, have been able for the last 20 years to contribute, you know, my part to this entity that includes metal as part of who they are, their yep. identity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that might have been the response, actually. Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, you, you. Uh, yeah, there's so many applications that your technical expertise would be a suitable match for. So I'm really glad you are a part of Dream Theatre, obviously, because I think it gives a band an extra uh, a sense of vitality. Uh, I really enjoyed the last couple of albums in particular. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change gears for a sec, actually, because I wanted to do so. I've only done this with one other musician, and I've done a bit over 300 interviews at this point in time. But Herman Lee from Dragon Force, of course, I uh, had a conversation with him, and he's worked with a lot of musicians, much like yourself. And mm. I, I dove into your resume, and I've picked five musicians, sorry, four musicians that you've worked with. One of them's rather obvious, but I know fans want to hear about your, your, uh, your working with David Bowie. Sure. The other, the other three, I don't know whether people are as aware that you've worked with them. So, what I wanted to do is just ask for a couple of, uh, a couple of thought, a couple of uh, pieces from you or thoughts from you about what it was like to work with. And the first one is Vinnie Moore, way back in 1988 on Time Odyssey. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, well, that was a really interesting time for me because working with Vinnie was was kind of like one of my first steps into the of the music of the real music business because Vinny had a 
pretty cool thing going. He was like um, one of the top in this new breed of like shred kind of neoclassical players. Like mm-hmm. was following up with like, like Ingrid Malmsteen kind of like concept. Um, so when I met him, you know, I first day I met him, he was, he just like was instant. We became instant friends and he was just kind of funny, slightly goofy, you know, super talented uh, guitar player. And uh, we hit it off, you know, right away. Matter of fact, I just played on something new. Of Vin. He, Vinny just played on something of mine, on my new solo album, which is not out yet. And I just played on something of Vinny's. So we, we still remain connected. Sweet. Okay. All right. Yeah. The, the next one is, I feel this fella here is one of the most underrated musicians around, certainly in rock and roll, rock music. And that's Kip Winger. You worked with him in 1997 on This Conversation Seems Like a Dream. <laughs> Right. And Kip also, you know, um, Kip was um, a vocalist on a couple of my different albums. He did some singing on A Road Home, which was an album hmm. of um, uh, mostly of album of covers of my favorite um, prog stuff. Yep. And he also sang uh, on one of my other albums, which was the Rhythm of Time album. He sang a song called Tear Before the Rain. Okay. Uh, we've also performed live. I think I did a radio station thing with Kip at one point in New York City years ago where I went down, played keyboards, and he was on uh, guitar, and Morgan, Rod Morgenstein played some drums. So, um, yeah, lovely, lovely talent. Super talented guy. Uh, you know, amazing classical composer. Completely, you know, an interesting career because he was just a male, kind of like a male model. And then, you know, people <laughs> didn't, real, people didn't yeah. realize that he was super talented you know like super talented musician so there you go there you go okay the next one is a fellow that i had an opportunity to chat to only recently actually before his australian tour and that was stephen wilson you worked with him on uh grace for drowning i think it was back in 11 yeah i think i played on a couple of his albums um just looking to remember but anyway stephen is one of my favorite people you know, I love the guy. I love his music. I met him when he was opening up for Dream Theater with his band, um, Porcupine Tree, hmm. years ago. And we became, you know, instant friends because we just had a lot of lot in common. And we try to see each other if I'm in, like, the UK or if he's around here. We'll, you know, try to find a chance to say hello. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, incredible musician. Just happy to have had the chance to work with him on different stuff. He sang also on... Uh, some of my my uh, recorded music. He sang on a road home uh, as well, and I played on I think a couple of his albums. And then we performed live a little bit here and there, and you know, just a nice a nice musical personal relationship there. Mm, okay, and finally, of course, I have to ask you about David Bowie too. So you, I think you worked on uh, Heathen back in two thousand and two. Yeah, so I was with Dream Theater in the studio. I think we were working on like uh, Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence, and I got a call from Tony Visconti, who, of course, is a big producer guy, David Bowie's producer for so many of his albums. Mm-hmm. I had worked with Tony on some uh, other other things, like Annie Haslam's music and um, Prefab Sprout. We did I did some playing on one of their albums. Um, but Tony wanted to try some different things with David Bowie. So he thought it would be cool to bring me in to do that. And so, uh, I, of course said yes to that gig. I was, you know, even though I was never a big David Bowie fan, 
I mean, he's so iconic. Everybody knows, you know, David Bowie. Hmm. So I thought this is really cool. So I did. I spent about 12 days up in a studio in uh, the Catskills up on a big mountaintop. Hmm. Okay. Uh, with David and Tony with various musicians. And it was really, really a great experience. Um, some funny, funny stories. I can tell you one of which is that I walked in one day to do the recording and I, and it was, uh, there were two pianos in the room and one of them was an upright piano that was being, uh, that was being tuned to kind of a interesting tuning, I thought. And the other one was more like a, I think it was a Steinway, um, baby grand piano. And I thought, Oh, great. So I'll, you know, I'll be playing piano today and I'll play on the Steinway, I guess. But uh, David and Tony came in and said, no, today we're going to do piano, but you're going to play on this upright piano because it's tuned in a way that David, you know, David likes to have the pianos tuned. Mm-hmm. So uh, I thought, OK, cool. So I started to play on the piano, the upright. And then David kind of came out and said, mm, I don't know. I don't know if that's the right sound. And then I switched to the grand piano. And again, Tony came out and said, mm, I'm not sure this is the right sound either. I was like, well, I tried both pianos now. What are you going to do? So then, well, okay, so let's let's put let's tape the sustain pedal down on the upright piano, open the whole lid so all the strings are exposed, move it close to the grand piano and put mics up to the strings on the upright and then play the grand piano and we'll record the the <laughs> resonance from the upright. And that's the sound that made it to the album. Dear God, he, yeah. yeah, that's very innovative, very, very imaginative. Well, that was the technique that they said uh, – you know, they had used uh, way back when. So I think the song that we did that on, if anybody's curious to hear it, I think it's called Slip Away. Slip yeah, Away. Slip Away. Okay. That's the name of the song off the Heathen album. I played piano and we recorded it that way. Well, all of that, working with David Bowie and the other three excellent musicians that I just mentioned allude to something, which is that you, you have an enormous catalogue of recorded works, probably the most out of anybody that I've interviewed, actually. So what keeps you motivated? Oh, well, I love music and I love all different kinds of music. So it's my it's my life. It's my passion. You know, I am on the endless search for the ultimate sound and, uh, you know, just being healthy and just waking up in the morning and feeling good. It's enough to get me to be inspired to go to the piano or go to one of my synthesizers or my musical uh, devices and just do, you know, and just make music. Hmm. What about the biggest challenge that you've faced? Have you have you been in, in a position where you thought, oh, God, I'm not really sure how this one here is going to go. So can you recount a time where you've really felt challenged and extended? <laughs> I felt very challenged and extended on my last tour because I was out with the uh, – I was out as a special guest of Alda Miola a few oh, weeks wow. ago. Okay, yeah. And uh, I had hurt my back on the second – before the second show, I woke up and I was in a lot of pain. And uh, I had to get through the entire tour before I got home and went to a, like a real doctor and found out what was going on and was able to deal with it. And so that was like one of the biggest challenges ever was to play eight shows and be in so much pain like the whole time and just kind of like – figure out how to, how to do it. But luckily I played the piano in so many different states of mind and body over the years that mm. that was that part, that part sitting at the piano is not the hardest part. The part was more like just, you know, everything around it, getting to the shows and, you know, just kind of like existing. Yeah. You know? 
yeah, be, being in, uh, I've often had this conversation with uh, musicians such as yourself, but uh, you're less a musician when you're on the road and you're more a professional traveller, aren't you? You you get right. very used to airports and vending machines and staying away from um, complex carbohydrates and all that sort of rubbish that can be found and um, on the road late at night when you're starving after a gig, that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But you just made me remember one time years ago out with, Mike Portnoy in the band and we were on the tour bus and they made them like pull over at a uh, like a jack-in-the-box or something in the middle of the night one of these you know I don't know if you have that in Australia but it's kind of like a McDonald's or something like that yeah I'm familiar with I've been to the states a couple of times so I'm I'm, I'm very um I don't eat much fast food but I'm always in when I say impressed, I don't know how many different varieties of fast food that there are in the States, but there seems to be a niche market for everybody over there. And it's open at all hours of the day and night too. So uh, I guess if you've got the population to sustain it, it's not that healthy. What can I say? But uh, yeah, exactly. population's bloody there, isn't it? You know? Yeah, I mean, look at what people look at. Look at the population. It makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah, I was listening to Joe Rogan about that actually last night. I can't remember who he was interviewing, but they were making he was making the case for the, the biggest issue that they that Americans face. It's effectively it's it's okay. There's the drug issue. Of course, and the cart and the rise of the cartels in Mexico and the the chaos that that's causing. But um, I think the, I think the biggest issue is Trump. Oh yeah, well yeah. Well, how do you think things are going to go with these midterms coming up? Oh God, that's uh, I don't know. I'm just so so upset about you know this country and the whole thing here. So I hope mm. it changes a lot. Yeah, well. Look, if it's any consolation, I don't think anybody, uh, I don't think anybody with half a brain globally uh, blames the American people for it. It's just a, a byproduct of the, the the political system over there. Right, right. It's really messed up. It's worse that I've, you know, that I can remember. We've got similar issues here. It's, I think what happens is when you've got people like um, the Clintons and the Trumps, um, they're they're a byproduct or they're an outcome of the. Um, the duopoly of the political system, you've got two choices only, which is just insane, really, but there's only ever one of two parties that are ever going to govern in Western countries. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, and so it, you get these people who are power-hungry. Um, mm -hmm. what, what didn't you say, really? It's, uh, yeah, hopefully it changes, but who, who bloody knows? We are but uh, humble musicians. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, that it. That's true. Yeah, mate. I'd better let you go. It's been a fascinating conversation with you. Thank you so much for making the music that you have over the years. Uh, you're an extraordinarily talented artist, and it doesn't need to be said, of course. But that's, <laughs> I don't know. Well, you're one of those guys who uh, I'm in awe of. Uh, your, your recorded output, and uh, good luck with the future, and also on this uh, tour in Australia. Thanks so much, Andrew, and good luck to you too. And enjoy your weekend, man. Oh, thank you very much, mate. We'll do. Yeah, for sure. Okay. You have been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series and syndicating for the A-List Online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith and that conversation featured Jordan Rudess from the outfit Dream Theatre. Thank you so much for listening.